Mark 15, 33 through 39. The sermon itself will be on verses 38 through 39. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Thanks be to God for his holy word this morning. In the timeline of the Gospel of Mark, we have come to what is called by many Christians as Good Friday. And the reason why we say that it is Good Friday is not because the events that occurred on this day were good in themselves, but because the fruits of what occurred on that day over 2,000 years ago would be good. In other words, it was a Good Friday for us. Why? Well, because the punishment that is due for our sins would be satisfied once and for all. Christ would offer himself to God, his Father on the cross at Calvary as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sins, he was fulfilling one of his three offices. As our mediator, he fulfilled the offices of prophet in proclaiming the word of God, of king in calling out of the world a people for himself and ruling over them, and of priest. So here he fulfills the office of a priest. How? Our larger catechism says this, Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for them. This would contrast the Levitical order of priests, first instituted with Aaron, when the high priest would enter into the most holy place and offer a sacrifice of atonement once a year on the Day of Atonement. But as the author of Hebrews says, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle or temple, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He offered a better sacrifice than those of the old covenant which would secure a place in the heavenly holy of holies for his people and it would secure a people from every tongue, nation, and tribe. This is what we see in our text this morning. First, he secured a place for us in the most holy place or the holy of holies in heaven. According to Mark, Jesus was nailed to the cross at about 9 a.m. and hung there until about 3 p.m. 
But in John's account, it says that he was crucified at 12 p.m. or at the sixth hour. Why the difference in time? Is it a contradiction? Well, no. John was trying to communicate something other than the preciseness of time. He was presenting Jesus as the Passover lamb. Because 12 p.m. or the sixth hour on the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath of the Passover week, was when the Passover lambs would begin to be sacrificed for sin in Jerusalem. They would sacrifice the lambs from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. So John was saying that Jesus was the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And it was 12 p.m. here in Mark when darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour at 3 p.m. when Jesus would cry out and breathe his last as the Lamb of God and dies. It is finished. His priestly work was complete. He has offered himself as a once-for-all sacrifice for his people and he will soon sprinkle his blood on the altar of the temple not made with hands. So to point to this reality, what happens next? It says this, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now what is this curtain? If you're not familiar with the construction of the temple, it is based on the earlier version known as the tabernacle described in Exodus chapters 25 to 27. See, the tabernacle was a moving temple that would move with Israel as they were making their way to the promised land. Once in the promised land, Solomon would eventually build the temple. By the time you get to Jesus' day, Herod builds this enormous compound for the second temple. And when you walk into the temple you'd walk through a veil and there would be two sanctuaries. The holy place and the most holy place. So first you walk into the first sanctuary known as the holy place. There you'll find the golden lampstand to the left or to the south of the building. The table for the bread of the presence on the right or the north of the building. And on the east, the altar of incense, which is straight ahead. And only ordained priests were allowed to enter into the holy place. Then beyond this first sanctuary, there is the second sanctuary, or the inner sanctuary, known as the most holy place. This is the holy of holies, where God commanded Moses to place the Ark of the Covenant, which contained two stone tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments. On top of the ark would be the mercy seat, or what is called the atonement cover. And on the mercy seat, there were two golden cherubim, or angels, with their wings outstretched over the seat, and their faces looking downward in reverent awe and worship of God. And only the high priest could enter there once a year to make a sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And what separated the holy place from the most holy place was a curtain or veil, 
as described in Exodus 26, verses 31 to 33. It says this, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. Then it gets into details about the way it is to be hung. Then it says this, And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. Now by the time you get to Jesus' day, the most holy place no longer held the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. But it was an empty room with an elevated floor to symbolize that it was supposed to be there. Now, today you have all these conspiracy theories and rumors about where is the Ark of the Covenant today. But I believe that is unimportant for the Christian. And you will soon see why. I believe it was empty to symbolize that the true mercy seat was not earthly but heavenly and was waiting for someone to sit on it. So notice, there are all these levels of separation. Only priests could enter into the holy place, and only the priest of priests, the high priest, could enter the most holy place. And that left everyone else separated from the immediate presence of God because of sin. Now, to get a better understanding as to why, I want you to consider a few things. Let us consider a few things here. First, let us consider the design of the temple and what that means, the veil, and also let us consider who the high priest is and who he points to. So first, let us consider the design of the temple itself. The design of the tabernacle or the temple, was to reflect or resemble God's original temple that he created, which was the Garden of Eden. Without getting into every fine detail, it's best that you read it for yourself, but if you notice the description of the inner design, the temple resembles a garden. The same garden where God once dwelled in a perfect, loving fellowship and communion with Adam and Eve, until man fell into sin. And what happened as a result? Besides the covenant curses and making atonement for them by cutting an animal and placing its skins on them as a covering, God drove man out of the garden. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, think of the temple. What separated the holy place from the most holy place? On the east of the most holy place, there's a large veil with cherubim skillfully worked into it. The veil symbolizes the cherubim that stands guard at the east of the Garden of Eden to block the way to the Tree of Life to block the way to eternal life in communion with God. And it was all because of sin. And only the high priest, with a worthy sacrifice, was allowed to enter through that veil or curtain. Now, who was the high priest? Well, he was a mediator. 
The high priest was a type of Christ who is prophet, priest, and king. He offers a sacrifice as a priest. He wears a breastpiece of judgment to say that the high priest reveals God's will, which was to point to the fact that the Messiah was to be a prophet. He wears a turban designed much like a crown, which symbolizes the Messiah is to be a king. So the high priest reflects the Messiah as he enters into the most holy place with a worthy sacrifice. He enters the new Garden of Eden with a worthy sacrifice, without blemish. So who else does the high priest symbolize? Well, who was the first to make a worthy sacrifice for sin? Who was the first to shed blood in the Bible? Some would say Abel, but no, it was God. God was the first to cut an animal for an atonement covering and covered Adam and Eve so they wouldn't be naked and ashamed of their sin. The high priest reflects the Messiah as prophet, priest, and king. The Messiah reflects God as he is God. This is also why he is called the first and the last. Oh, how every Every road leads back to God in the scriptures. So the high priest entering the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice would symbolize the Messiah and how he will present the only worthy sacrifice that will open the way for his people to enter the most holy place in heaven in glorious communion with God. He is leading us back to a heavenly temple, a heavenly Eden through his sacrifice on the cross. And how do we know that? If you're not lost, let's get back to our text. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? The curtain of the temple, which had the cherubim woven into it, symbolizing that no one can enter because of sin, was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus has made the way back to God's loving presence for his people. This is why he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. At that moment, the cherubim who stood guard at the gates of Eden were told, you can put down your flaming swords. That is my son who is coming in. And the mercy seat is reserved for him. He will sprinkle blood on it, And he himself will sit on it. This leads me to a few observations and applications for us. What does this mean for us? Well, first, the old order of things is done away with. When the temple curtain was torn, that was to signify that the temple and its sacrifices have now been made obsolete, they are no longer valid. The Mosaic economy has now been abolished for Christ fulfills a better covenant. Christ has done what those sacrifices could never do. The author of Hebrews says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
Only Christ's sacrifice would be sufficient to save us completely from sin, death, and Satan. He was the perfect and unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this means we no longer need priests and high priests to offer sacrifices of atonement. We no longer need the old Levitical system. We have one high priest whom we go to. So secondly, since the earthly order is done away with, then this torn curtain points to the fact that we await a heavenly inheritance, not an earthly one. One of the major differences between the old Mosaic covenant and what we find in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, is that the Mosaic Covenant involved physical and earthly types and shadows of what was to come. The Old Covenant was earthly and physical, while the fulfillment of those physical types and shadows in the New Testament for us today are unseen, spiritual, otherworldly, or heavenly. Because Christ has done away with the old physical order in his death. And now he sits in the most holy place in heaven. And is present with us by the spirit. See a common temptation for us today. Is to put all our faith and effort. In a worldly and earthly inheritance. But time and time again. The Lord uses the times we live in to remind us. That this world is not our permanent residence. Many people are awaiting a worldly and earthly inheritance when this torn curtain has already demonstrated for us that it won't be here until the Lord returns. This is the pattern for our own lives where the perishable body must put on the imperishable body, the earthly must put on the heavenly, and the temporal must give way to the eternal. The hope of the torn curtain is that the temple and the most holy place that we are looking forward to entering is heavenly, not earthly. Thirdly, we now have free access to God wherever we are. The curtain is torn. There is no longer this separation between the holy place and the most holy place. And I would add, we no longer have this separation between us and the temple. Before, it was only ordained priests who would enter in. Now it is open to all. Before, the people of God would make pilgrimage to the temple to get closer to the immediate presence of God. Now, the presence of God is with us. And we have free access to God anywhere at any time. Through the torn veil, the presence of God resides in His people as they have been made Temples of the living God. And we no longer need to make a pilgrimage to a specific place to be close to the presence of God. We don't need to travel to Israel to be closer to God. And there is no longer a specific holy land. Now anyone can enter into the presence of God through the torn veil. In fact, our entire lives are to be considered One big pilgrimage to the heavenly temple in the new Jerusalem that is to come. Fourthly, this free access is not to be thought of as universal 
or that anyone can have access to the gracious presence of God no matter what they believe. Because we do not enter it alone or by our own strength. It is not an empty room the way the physical Holy of Holies is now. We have a forerunner who has gone into the inner sanctuary before us. We enter through a mediator. Our mediator, Jesus Christ, is there in the most holy place. He not only tore the curtain by his sacrifice, but he becomes our new curtain, our new veil. Notice how all of scripture converges in Jesus Christ. All of the symbols in the temple have to do with Jesus Christ. From the Ark of the Covenant to the mercy seat where he will sit to the veil. So the veil is not completely done away with. We still need a mediator because we cannot enter into God's immediate presence or we would be destroyed. And there is only one mediator between God and men. And it is the man, Jesus Christ. If you attempt to enter into the most holy place in heaven without this torn veil, who is Jesus Christ, then you will perish. Only through Christ can you be saved and enter into God's presence. Christ is the curtain that separates believers from unbelievers. And you can only enter into God's loving presence through him. And as our mediator, our high priest, he continues to make intercession for us from his mercy seat with the power and glory of God. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This means that we can now enter in confidently and boldly into the inner chambers of heaven from where we are right now through the blood of Christ that has been sprinkled on the mercy seat. Listen again to the author of Hebrews explain. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to the throne of grace because fifthly, this means that we have become a holy priesthood. We have become a holy priesthood. Jesus has won access for us into the holy places where God receives our prayers as the sweet aroma of incense. Through Christ alone, we have access to God in prayer. Listen to what Peter says. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house or temple to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we have access to God in prayer. This is why we believe that God does not listen to the prayers of unbelievers of any other religion. But if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, beloved, let us now enter into this presence with confidence that he hears our prayers and he intercedes for us in our time of need as we intercede for one another. Lastly, which leads to the last point, 
He has secured a people for himself and has made a way for both Jew and Gentile to enter into the most holy place. Listen to Paul. For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This means there is no longer a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, nor Jewish courts closer to the temple and Gentile courts way out on the outskirts. There won't be a court of Gentiles in the heavenly temple. Because look at what happens next. This is a sign of this very thing. So the second point is, a centurion, a pagan, answers the question that was asked and should have been asked throughout the Gospel of Mark. And that is, who is Jesus? This is an irony of ironies. The Roman centurion would have been in charge of four soldiers who would guard the prisoner. So he was a man of authority. Him and his soldiers would have been at the foot of the cross. They were the ones who were casting lots, dividing his clothes among them. Then this pagan centurion, a Gentile, says these remarkable words after Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. He said this, Truly, this man was the Son of God. It should have been the Jews. It should have been Jesus' own people who confessed these words. But rather, it was a pagan centurion, an unbeliever. Someone who is not familiar with the scriptures. Now the details about whether or not he truly believed or what his knowledge was about these words he confessed is not given to us. But since Mark places this confession right after the temple curtain is torn in two, he is telling us something. He is telling us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to spread all over the world and it won't be limited to one specific nation. Remember what the curtain symbolized. It symbolized separation between God and His people. And when you were in the temple courts, there was even more separation between Jew and Gentile. Now Mark is saying, that has all been done away with. He has also broken down the barriers between our physical and earthly identities. We now have heavenly identities, which surpasses our earthly identities. And we are now all united around the throne of God, united to Christ, despite our ethnic or racial backgrounds. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, one guess as to why the centurion confessed that he was truly the Son of God was that he witnessed true holiness on the cross. After being surrounded by corrupt 
religious leaders and false priests who had a hand in putting him on the cross. The centurion witnessed the true high priest who is worthy to enter the most holy place. He heard the words of a true intercessor who prayed for all of them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While the so-called priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and others around were mocking him, not interceding for him as they should have. According to Matthew, along with the curtain being torn, there was an earthquake. And it was after this that not only the centurion, but also the other guards confessed, truly this was the Son of God. God's holiness was on display. And when the earth shook, fear must have made their hearts tremble. And as they look upon the Son of God and how His flesh, His veil, His curtain was so torn, they saw the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God and yet sensed the love of God from the cross. Beloved, I pray that we would have this same conviction when we think of the cross. So as we consider what happened on that day, let us consider what a privilege it is to enter the most holy presence of God and how Christ has made the only way into that presence. To stand in His presence counted as righteous despite our current failures. What a privilege that we have access to God in prayer at any time, in any place because of what Christ secured for us at the cross. I pray that this would help us to grow in Christ-likeness. That the message of the cross would be the means not only for your justification before God, but also your sanctification. That we would grow to be more like Christ, living a life, as some have coined the term, in cruciform, that is, in the form of a servant. And that would mean that we would daily take up our cross and we would daily look to Him by faith, humbling ourselves and repenting of our sins. That would also mean spending more time in our prayer closets as we have gained access into the Holy of Holies. And it would mean responding with praise to a mighty Savior who by His death has torn that temple curtain in two so that we may all enter in. He has freed us from this exile, from God's presence, and He is leading us in our final exodus into the promised land. For Christ is our surety. Surety is defined as a person who takes responsibility for another person's performance. He has become our surety. And also He has become our great high priest who has secured a place for you at His mercy seat. So let us now draw near through this torn veil, this torn curtain, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.